It's March Mania at Sports Interaction, NHL, NBA, March Madness, MLB, and so much more. We got crazy odds and the best live in play. Download the app right now in Ontario. Use the QR code at the bottom right of the screen or head to sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN to get started. 19 plus, please play responsibly. Welcome to Nailing the Apex. I'm Tim Haraney. Please head on over to Spotify. Give us a five-star rating and a follow. Same goes with Apple Podcasts as well. Write a review as it really helps us grow the show. Uh, you can follow me on social media at Tim Haraney. Saudi Arabian Grand Prix preview and here to help us set it all up. F1 journalist, broadcaster, Chris Medlin. Chris, how are you? I'm good. Thanks, Tim. How are you doing, buddy? Yeah, not not too bad, man. Really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Love the hotel backdrop, by the way. <laughs> yeah, welcome to salubrious Jeddah, uh, where I've just got back from the circuit, so I managed <laughs> to walk back at least. But yeah, this is all I can offer up, I'm afraid. I can't get any cool stash or memorabilia. I've got some chocolates. That's a box of local chocolates. That's about as far as it goes. <laughs> you just like line them up right behind you. It would look fantastic. <laughs> Uh, thanks very much for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Give Chris a follow on social media at Chris Medland F1. Um, Chris, obviously in Saudi Arabia for uh, the race this weekend. Um, talk about the track real quick. I mean, with Bahrain, they've made quite a few different uh, changes. One to improve sight lines for drivers. The other one, obviously, for safety. Uh, and it sounds like, well, turn 22 is pretty crazy, uh, Chris. And then you've obviously been around the track before. Um it sounds like they've they've slowed it down qu- quite a bit. Yeah, they certainly have. I was having a watch, actually. Uh, I think it was Gunter Steiner was doing his media session. And at the same time, the safety car was lapping and they had the onboard camera. So I was paying a lot of attention. I was like, looking over his shoulder the whole time. I think he was a bit offended that I wasn't watching or paying attention to him. But um, certainly through that section of 22-23, uh, yeah, much tighter, 22 specifically. So, um, yeah, a bigger braking zone less apex speed through there. Uh, I think probably a, a good change, as cool as the circuit is, um, and as high speed as it is and unique, mm-hmm. as, like the characteristics that gives it, um, I felt like that was maybe something it lacked a little bit was some proper braking stability because even in things like the final corner, that was such a wide entry that drivers were carrying a lot of speed and quite a lot of minimum speed through that corner. Turns one and two were the only real stop. Uh, so I kind of felt like actually that was something it, it could do with. Uh, we've seen lots of DRS and slipstream battles here in the past and uh, they're cool but I felt like a, a, a decent braking zone somewhere else might help a little bit uh, and as we, we've had a few incidents at that corner a few shunts and we still might get them because drivers are trying to get as close to the wall as possible but I feel like it's now probably just a bit more about um, yeah kind of na- clipping the apex but getting the car straight to get on the power rather than carrying the speed through it so uh, yeah it's, it's changed slightly the, the dynamic of that corner but uh, I think all positive changes. The driver said there might be a few track limits issues this weekend now because the way they moved some of the walls back to improve sight lines, as you mentioned, means you can then kind of cut closer to the wall uh, inside the curb. But uh, there's rumble lines put down that are kind of like if you straight out a lane on the on the highway. Um, so it's all kind of designed to stop drivers doing that as well. So I think they made some some positive changes to this one. Yeah. Then the uh, third DRS um, DRS activation line's been been moved. Uh, it's been moved past the hairpin to the start finish start finish straight. Um, I, I don't know. It kind of seems like that's a good that's a good idea, Chris. I mean, like obviously we've seen like a couple times cat and mouse going on there with obviously in 2021 with Hamilton and Verstappen, and then last season Verstappen in in the Leclerc. So I don't know. It seems like a it seems like a better option to do that. But again, like the I don't know the the the, the gap between 
you know, DRS sensing and then DRS activation is not as big now because they've closed all the distance up from all of it. Absolutely, yeah. It's um, it creates a different dynamic because, yeah, as, as you mentioned, like in the past, it was a driver didn't want to be ahead um, at the detection point. They wanted to be behind, so they picked it up. So they were trying to overtake into the final corner, but at a certain stage. Now it's going to be that they don't want to overtake into the final corner, even if they could. So you'll find that the lead car is either trying to back the other one up and let them go past, or they might be trying to like almost not quite break test them. Um, you know, Max took it a bit far last time or in 2021, but um, kind of uh, just slowing them at the apex so that they can get a better drive out of it to open that gap. Because as you say, if if you can open it to a second on, on power, then brilliant. But even if you can't, you're still going to be accelerating away from the car behind by the time that the DRS is activated because the detection point is so close. So then it kind of negates how much time there will be for the DRS to take effect. So we'll see. I mean, there was times that maybe the overtaking was a bit too easy with DRS here. Uh, and as fun as those games were, it wasn't exactly um, high quality racing. It was just entertaining. So maybe now it'll make overtaking a little bit more tricky. Uh, Red Bull racing. I mean, obviously coming off a very dominant weekend in Bahrain and the car looks absolutely fantastic. Uh, but for Stappen wasn't there today. Uh, stomach, bug issue was he was he in did you know if he was in Jeddah at all or is he like flying in like friday morning to to try and take part in in, in practice I, I believe he was flying in today rather than yesterday um or or late tonight but he, he said he pushed his flight back by a day um just to give himself a bit more recovery time i guess if he still wasn't feeling great and wasn't going to come to the track today anyway then then why put yourself on a plane earlier why be somewhere that's not your own home any earlier than you have to so he just gave himself an extra 24 hours at home to fully recuperate. Seemed high spirits and positive enough. Nick DeVries mentioned that he'd been messaging him this morning about uh, 2021 and his qualifying lap that so nearly came together when, it, when Max crashed at the final corner. And they were, they were having a lot of chat about that. But he, at no point did Max mention not feeling well. So Nick took that as a sign with, oh, I must be in pretty good shape if he's not said to me, oh, I'm, you know, I'm really not well. So uh, I don't think anyone's thinking it'll be too much of an issue, but... We'll have to wait and see when he jumps in the car tomorrow. Looking at the the car, I mean, you know, you and I were discussing before we even came on to to to, to record this. I mean, the the strengths of it is interesting. You know, if you take a look at uh, this time last year, where we were coming into the second race of the season, and it was interesting to note that you know F- Ferrari was really good with you know mid corner to exit power down, not so much straight line speed. Red Bull kind of had that. And then this season coming into to, to, to Jeddah, it's reversed where it's like Red Bull is great with power down coming out of corners, may not have as much straight line speed as Ferrari. I mean, listening to Carlos Sainz uh, during the um, press conference earlier today, I mean, it. I mean, listening to Carlos, it sounds like it's like, you know, really dire times at Ferrari and they're, they may not be able to keep up here in Jeddah, but... I, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Because looking at things on paper and looking how things went with the race, I mean, there are two different things. But at the same time, I mean, Ferrari does look pretty strong. And it does look like this could be a track that suits their car. I don't know. What do you think about all of it? Yeah, it certainly feels like it would suit their car a lot more than, than Bahrain did. Um, or more specifically, as you've just said, the, the Red Bull strengths are not played to as much here. Now, Red Bull, I still think, are going to be the car to beat. Um, I don't think the advantage can be turned around that quickly. Um, 
it's just you know they had such a big gain over everybody else in Bahrain that you take away a bit of Red Bull's advantage, you add a bit to everyone else, and that gap really does close, but not, I don't think, does it switch around. Uh, but yeah, for Ferrari, there's just a few more things that play into their hands uh, a little bit more, which is more positive. One of the things that we don't know is going to be reliability, which has been a problem for them. And you mentioned Carlos, who, yeah, admitted that coming into the start of the season, not being remotely close, really, to Red Bull in race pace uh, in Bahrain and having reliability issues, yeah, doesn't look good but they, they're pretty confident that they've ironed out the reliability issues it was Charles Leclerc who had to take a, an extra control electronics and he's used three already this season or will have used three when he rolls out uh, this weekend which means a grid penalty already um, but the Ferrari seem actually fairly confident that he can recover from there and Leclerc himself said uh, you know I can maybe do something a bit special now that's partly because he needs to he's got a quick enough car to negate the, most of the penalty anyway against some of the other uh, cars on the grid but they also feel like they'll be closer to the Red Bull. So, you know, why not try and get up there and in that fight? So uh, there's more optimism there. And for a team that has just been through a bit of turmoil in terms of the way the season started, uh, and I'm sure we'll touch on it, but um, some pressure coming from the Italian press already, uh, to speak so positively and uh, optimistically ahead of this weekend, I think is a good sign because otherwise it's pretty brave to do that if you're going to be set for a tough one. Looking at, uh, you know, you'd, you'd mentioned it, I mean, a bit of... Um by the sounds of it, according to you know some of the things I've read from Italian uh, media last weekend, um, really sounds like there's a lot of internal division within within Ferrari, um, having some team personnel uh, leave. Gino Rosato, actually, that one caught me by surprise. I didn't know that um, I, I didn't know that he had left the team until the week of uh, the Bahrain Grand Prix, and then you've you've had a couple other people hand in resignations as well. Uh, I mean, it, it kind of sounded like there was internal complications between Frederick Vasseur and uh, Ferrari CEO uh, Vigna. I mean, I don't. It's 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 hard to see because if you look at like sometimes the way Ferrari runs things, like you know, CEO of Ferrari. Now, should they necessarily be getting involved with the race team? I mean, probably not. But your boots on the ground, you've had a chance to talk to some of these guys. I mean, what do you think? Do you think there's actually internal division sort of happening within Ferrari or is it kind of just being blown out of proportion? I feel like it's being blown out of proportion. I think there's some um, more senior members that maybe aren't too happy or a bit concerned about uh, just the way the team very quickly has changed direction. Because if you think, Bonotto did do a good job. Uh, last year they finished second, the year before they'd been third. Mm. They turned around having been nowhere prior to that uh, in 2020. So uh, there was clear progress from Ferrari. They just almost got ahead of themselves last year uh, and then it looked like a failure. But at the same time, it has been a failure in the sense that they haven't won a championship in so long and they haven't really sustained a title challenge in so long. Something has to change. And if you're Vasseur going in there and being like, I am going to make changes or I'm going to change the way we do certain things, even if it's not removing personnel... Um, I don't think that's a bad sign at all. I think that's what's needed. Doesn't mean people are going to be happy with it all the time. Uh, you know, sometimes some harsh truths, but to become yeah. the number one team, you you have to make some pretty tough choices sometimes. So, I don't think it's a bad thing to hear that there might be a little bit of dissent within Ferrari because there's a lot of changes happening. Maybe a bit worrying if it's people that Vasseur didn't want to lose uh, who have handed in their uh, resignations, but. Uh, what was really interesting today was from both drivers specifically, um, 
coming out and going, um, we saw the rumours, we heard about them. Leclerc himself said, you know, he saw the reports, went to Maranello thinking, oh, I wonder what the atmosphere is like. I wonder how people are reacting to those. You know, maybe they're angry, maybe they're upset, maybe it's true. Like, he just didn't really know what he was going to get. And he said he was surprised to find how positive it was. Everyone united, everyone pushing in the same direction. Um, and he said, he said, for once, this was quite interesting, he said, for once, 90% of the reports were unfounded. So he kind of hinted that, yeah, usually this stuff leaking out, you know, is, is founded in truth or there's something going on that's, you know, kind of acceptable. But he said, not, not on this occasion. Uh, and he said he couldn't wait to get back in the car on Friday so the talking would stop and they could get on with trying to do things. Um, there was a real, real kind of passion to his words uh, in terms of trying to defend the team. Carlos Sainz, as we mentioned earlier, did the same sort of thing. Uh, came out and said it's actually a much better atmosphere internally than you'd expect, given what you might have read. Um, but it's because what, you, what you've read isn't a reflection of uh, what we're seeing and the way everyone's reacting. So uh, he said he couldn't understand why some people wanted to, to destabilise the team, uh, especially this early in the season. One race, one sample set on one circuit. Uh, he said, you know, it's too early for people to be writing this off. It's certainly too early for people to be trying to sort of tear the team apart. So, uh, yeah, there was, there was a pretty strong response from both drivers, which I think, again, is a positive sign because, in a sense... They are your your spokespeople, your leaders. They're the guys you need on side um, and singing from a certain hymn sheet that everyone else can fall in behind. Th those two, obviously, and Fred Vasseur. So uh, I think that was a pretty pretty united front put on by Ferrari this week, which is, was telling today. Looking at um, tire degradation for them for the race, I mean, that was something that obviously plagued them as well last season and then coming into this season. Kind of had the notion that they had uh, corrected some of that, but... You know, then you take a look at Bahrain. I mean, given the asphalt there is much different from any other track that Formula One does visit, it is much more abrasive. But, I mean, hearing Carlos Sainz say that they're five-tenths off of Red Bull for race pace, it's that's quite shocking to me. But I wonder, do you think any of this has to do with the, 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 the 15 millimeter um, floor change that came in uh, during the uh, summertime uh, last season because it has affected a couple teams so far this season, one being obviously McLaren. I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. Do you, I don't know, do you, do you, do you think that that has played any sort of a role in terms of um, tire degradation for, uh, for Ferrari? I know you're not an engineer at all, but yeah, just curious your thoughts on it. Uh I was about to say, actually, if I get my Sherlock Holmes on, um, it's less about what it's done for some of those teams <laughs> and more if, if I do two and two with what it's done for Red Bull. And you've got to think, so we've raised the floor by 15 mil, uh, generally. Um, you know, that's quite a basic description of it, but that's essentially what's happened. Now, the Red Bull cars in the past, their philosophy on every car prior to the new regulations coming in was a massively high-rate car, really severe, Rear end very high, front very low. Um, that's how they generated their downforce. So they've got huge knowledge and data on that. And that helped them create a, really, a very good rear end in the past as well. Now, essentially, this, this change has moved us slightly closer to that, with the, even with these different floor regulations. Still much lower, still much stiffer, still uh, trying to generate the downforce largely from the floor. But it's just moved the car potentially into a bit more of a realm that Red Bull was already very strong in. So they might just have some sort of kind of understanding or knowledge or um, appreciation for certain things that have allowed them to find, again, just a very small gain, but a small one that, that 
others don't have. So that's helped them at the very least maintain their advantage, but probably extend it. So for other teams, they don't have that. They've got a rear end that's now maybe slightly less stable, uh, that they're getting slightly less performance from because of this gain, uh, this raise uh, in the floor. And then if you don't have as a stronger rear end, you're going to burn up the rear tyres. So I think that could be uh, something that's impacted it. That might also explain why you know, you've got people from that now work at Aston Martin, uh, Dan Fallows specifically, uh, who was previously at Red Bull and had knowledge of those old cars, not just the 2022 car, but previous cars, uh, and might have gone with the same thing. And that's or, you know a similar kind of uh, knowledge base that's helped them and helped them make a big step. So because again, Aston Martin's tyre wear looked really good uh, in Bahrain compared to Mercedes and Ferrari. They looked like they had a handle on it. They didn't react to pit stops from Ferrari and Mercedes. They knew that they just stick to their strategy and they'd come on strong. So yeah, that's that is quite a two and two situation that I'm putting together there. Um, it's just kind of logically that does make sense to me. So I and if that is the case, it's not that the others have kind of failed at it mm. it's just that they haven't made the same amount of progress as some other teams have so that could well have hurt but as you mentioned uh, yeah the, the asphalt here is so much smoother I think everyone's expecting a one stop not expecting rear deg especially to be an issue you've got a lot more high speed corners lateral loads so it's going to be the fronts that you're working harder um, which could again just move it a bit closer to uh, the likes of Ferrari and Mercedes in terms of okay you had a trouble with the rear before but you don't have to worry about this week that this weekend you can kind of chase the sweeter spot in your car so um, that's what's going to be fascinating to watch during practice actually just to see on long run pace how much closer everyone is because uh, I'm sure we'll get onto them but with Mercedes Lewis Hamilton if we say Carlos Sainz said half a second Lewis Hamilton said one and a half seconds for Mercedes in race trim uh, he thinks when Red Bull really open it up uh, so that would be fascinating if uh, if it was anywhere near that. I, I would be amazed if it was here. But uh, we'll get our first hints of that on Friday. It, I mean, that's, yeah, for Mercedes, I mean, it's definitely not good. I mean, things aren't obviously good there at the moment. And if we take a look at, I mean, Hamilton's comments just in terms of where the car needs work and, in, you know, paraphrasing, obviously, but overall grip, essentially points of downforce, not only on the front, but also on, on, the, rear as well, on, on the rear as well. But also feels that Ferrari is going to be the only team that could possibly stop Red Bull uh, this season from winning everything. Um, interesting, more of his comments, though, that, you know, Mercedes didn't listen to him. Uh, he mentioned on a podcast, I believe it was BBC's Checkered Flag podcast, where he had mentioned that, and then today kind of walking that comment back a bit by just saying that uh, it's not the best choice of words. Um he is out of contract at the end of the season, Chris. I mean, he's, you know, one of the greatest drivers of all time. I, I could never see him leaving Mercedes. I mean, could you? I mean, I honestly, I mean, anything is possible, obviously, right? But at the end of the day, I mean, it just, it just seems like that's his home, you know. I, yeah, I think if Mercedes does what it has up to now for Lewis, which is give him freedom and trust him. Um, not only off track but on track then I think he stays put he hinted in, like you say on that BBC podcast that uh, they had maybe not fully trusted him or listened to everything he'd said and maybe it's easy to pull those sorts of comments out when things are going badly you know he wouldn't have said if things are going well well I actually told him to do something differently so um, hindsight's a wonderful thing and like as you say today he kind of stepped back slightly from that you know he did say look we, we have to there's times you don't agree with what other people in the team are saying or doing and you have dis discussions and not quite arguments, but, you know, different points of view. 
and you don't always get what you want. But he also said, but that's healthy. You know, you need different points of view. You need different times where certain people push what they think is right. And so, sometimes they'll be right. Sometimes they'll be wrong. So he was a lot more calm about it um, on this occasion. But I think if he feels that that team is really listening to him and trusting him, he will stay. I think if he doesn't, I think if over the next couple of months he says, this is what we've got to do, or I want to see you do this, and they're not doing it, off the back of two tough years, then I think you know maybe there's a little delay in that contract being signed and in that com- that future being committed. Um, where he goes, though, I mean, look, Red Bull would have loved Lewis Hamilton in the car at one stage, but they're not going to put him in there now. Uh, they don't need to, to be fair to them as well. Um, they've you know they've got Max Verstappen and they've got a very quick car and a very quick number two driver that helps them you know sweep it all last year and probably do the same this year, uh, the way it started. So that then says Ferrari. Is that a better move than Mercedes right now? Questionable. Uh, Aston Martin are not going to boot out Lance, certainly, and they've got Fernando, so they don't need to go chasing Lewis. As amazing as he would be for so many of these teams, I'm sure many of them would actually wish the scenario was different, that they could bring him in. But I I don't actually see a a better option than Mercedes. Like They are within the realms of the second quickest team if they're not quite there right now. Only Red Bull offers you a, a guaranteed step up at this point, and come next year, who knows? So... I, yeah, I, I don't see him leaving. Yeah, it's it's impossible to say where he he could actually end up. But yeah, I mean, there it just doesn't appear like there would be. I mean, obviously, any team would want to take Lewis Hamilton aside from the ones that you already mentioned. But like that being said, I mean, there there's teams that just aren't going to be competitive for the next few years. I mean, you go to Alpine, they may not be competitive for another two to three years. You go to McLaren, I mean, things are not good there at right now, and they still don't even have a full wind tunnel up and running just yet to uh, help them push their upgrades through. I mean, it's just Mercedes still just seems like that best option looking at the car in general. I mean, you know, hearing from Total Wolf and and also Lewis and George, I mean, some bold decisions do need to be made with this with this car. And we've got a lot of folks who listen to this podcast who are, who are new to Formula One and, you know, don't really understand just how difficult it is to turn a race car around i mean chris it's impossible for them to really close into this gap this season from where they've started and they can't just show up to the track in say imola with a totally different concept a brand new type of race car i mean it just it it seems so unlikely not unless they're like hiding something up their sleeves you know i i think they did explore other we, we talk about concepts. It was Andrew Shovlin, uh, the trackside engineering director, mm-hmm. um, who did a, I think it was a strategy unva- um, unraveling and answering questions after the first race. And in that, he said, a lot of people are focusing on the side pods when they talk about the concept, but there's more to it than that. But from the side pod point of view, um, I think they looked at other solutions that they could do with this chassis, with this architecture that they have. Uh, and they now are probably switching full focus to that. So we'll see a very different looking car. But you're right, it's still going to be like a you know a 20% change of the whole package that you can't change 100% of within the season. Um, there's so much that needs to go through. You have to pass the FIA crash tests if you ever want to change the actual tub and the chassis itself. Um, the cost of that is enormous and we're in a cost cap era. So you can't do it that easily. You, people are working on different things now. Obviously, they're working on next year's car. And if you if you pull all the resources onto basically trying to cut the season into two and have a new car halfway through that really impacts next year as well so you kind of have to do the best that you can with what you've got until you can introduce next year's car which is kind of the approach that they were taking last year sadly 
But that's that's what shows how impressive a job Red Bull are doing, how hard it is to succeed at Formula One. This is Mercedes who dominated for so long, and now they're really struggling. Um, and just the way that the sport is fascinating because then people go after the big names that were doing such a good job and try to bring them into their team. Aston Martin did it. They hired a lot from Red Bull and Mercedes. Uh, they, they went after personnel that had great knowledge that they wanted to bring in. You lose that knowledge from another team, and sometimes it's a blessing in disguise. Sometimes someone else gets promoted who's got fresh ideas that keep you moving forward. Other times it means that you've got a bit of a gap in, in your understanding and, and it hurts you. So um, I think it's actually been good for Formula One to have this reminder that you know just because Mercedes dominated for so long, it wasn't easy. What they were doing was incredible. Uh, what Red Bull now are doing is incredible to, to have done it across eras. Uh, so uh, Mercedes have got a real, real tough task to turn that around, as you say. And it's just, it's nigh on impossible to, to do it during the season. But a bit like last year, their focus can also be, if they're going to go down the avenue of a new concept, uh, is to introduce as much of it as they can this year, which is a gamble. Could backfire, would mean they probably struggle for a while until they introduce it. Then it might take them a while to get used to that and everyone else will be progressing. So uh, it could see them slip behind even further for a spell. But if by the end of the season, they're closer than they are now and they've learned a lot more about a new concept, that bodes well for 2024. So that's kind of probably more their logic at this stage. A couple other uh, teams that you know we still kind of don't really know where they are in terms of, uh, of, of the pecking order. I mean, Aston Martin is... I mean, they were quick in Bahrain unsure of how fast they're going to be here in in Jeddah. I know Alonso wants to take a few races to get an understanding of what does baseline what does this baseline race car actually what can it actually do. And on top of that, your that team's coming to this track where I I think the car's a little bit draggy. I mean, they're good in in the braking zones, they're good with some of the slow corners, but when it comes to a lot of the straight line speed, I mean, the Aston Martin didn't really look like it it, it had much of it in, in Bahrain, so I think think um coming to Jetta might be a bit tough but Alpine is a interesting team where I just kind of feel and I don't know how you feel about this but I just kind of feel like we haven't really we haven't really seen or got a true understanding of 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 how good the car is and how good the team can be um this season what, what's your outlook on that yeah I totally agree I mean I'm with you on Aston as well I think there's uh, as much chance of being second as there is them being third or fourth this weekend. Um, I don't think there's any guarantee that it's the same pecking order that we had from Bahrain. Maybe um, that with setup that they will be a little bit more competitive. But you're right. I think they kind of uh, have been hurt slightly by the Mercedes approach of last year and are a bit more draggy with what they've gone for. But they've got good downforce on the car, so uh, it won't be. I mean, it's still big progress they've made. But like you say, with with Alpine. Um, mm-hmm. who probably were really hurting uh, watching Aston Martin make such a huge step. But they just were, it was a proper Jekyll and Hyde weekend for them in Bahrain with qualifying great for Ocon, terrible for Gasly, yeah. but then the complete opposite in the race. Uh, you, ne- you didn't see what a clean weekend looks like for either of them. And with where Gasly ended up, having started where he started, um, that's quite encouraging, I'd say. So I think if they can put it all together, then there's every chance. You know, I mean, they've already been bringing parts to the car. Uh, they've been very uh, confident heading into the season. And there were two teams that were confident, as in spoke positively where I thought you know they could be made to look silly. Uh, and it was Aston Martin and Alpine. They were the two teams that were really talking themselves up. Um, and I'd say both have sort of delivered. Alpine's problem is what Aston Martin have done. But I think Alpine have every chance of emerging as the clear other best team from the midfield. 
but yeah, you're right. We, we just haven't seen it all put together yet, to be sure. And we didn't get that in pre-season testing either. They hid their true one-lap pace. They just didn't do runs that would show it. They didn't use tyres that would show it. But it also meant that they didn't know themselves. They, they, had a, they could guess, they could look at their data, but they didn't know for sure. Uh, and the car can react differently on certain tyres at certain times. So, yeah, uh, still some question marks there. And this is a track that can bite, that you can get unlucky in qualifying with red flags or have an incident yourself. Same within the race. If you look at Checo last year, started on pole and a badly timed red flag, um, knocked him back in that order. And, and Ocon actually started on technically on pole for one of the restarts for being in the right place, right time. It might be a race that, again, we don't get the picture from. So that's why someone like Alonso is saying, well, we'll see where we're at after two, three, four races. That's why they say it. You, you get the sample set of Bahrain, which is quite unique. You might have a chaotic race here, and you don't really know what you've got underneath you. Looking at uh, McLaren, and we'll wrap it up on this because uh, there are a lot of McLaren fans who listen. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously not – like starting off the season the way they've – started obviously is horrible for the team they were pretty transparent with you know their struggles and how it was going to be a struggle at the start of the season when we uh took part in the um preseason uh team car launch and upgrades coming to the car could take a while i just i said when i look at when i when i look at the team i mean i i understand they are using you know toyota's wind tunnel in in germany in cologne I just uh, I just don't understand how they were able to get it so wrong at the beginning, and I know s- some of it has to do with the floor change that was introduced that you and I had talked about previously. But I mean, did Chris? Did you expect them to be so far off the pace uh, at the beginning of the season? I mean, clearly we don't know where they're going to end up here in Saudi Arabia. But l- listening to Lando Norris earlier today, I mean, he you know he was asked about Q three, and he's like, yeah, no chance. For, for this weekend it, it's a funny one because when the car was launched or heading into the year I absolutely didn't expect them to be struggling like this I thought you know that they had a good chance of making a bit of a step even with the change with seeing Andreas Seidel leave uh, I kind of thought you know they could they could maybe get a little bit closer to those front runners but then hearing them speak before we went testing about the car and then as testing was unfolding what they were saying about it and basically how unhappy they were with the launch car, but that they you know had directions that they were happy and excited about and upgrades coming uh, around Baku or Imola that would be um, you know a, a big step forward. All of that stuff, I was kind of like, okay, they're going to be in trouble here. There's a point in pre-season testing, I, I wondered if they were going to be mm-hmm. slowest out of everyone, even the way the team spoke. Zach Brown, I spoke to at one point, and he was like, you know, maybe. But then the raw pace that Lando put together in qualifying, yeah, he didn't reach Q3, but... He was in the top end of Q2, um, and he was, you know, kind of within range of the points. And then the pace shown during the race at spells, even with a car that they hadn't been able to run, um, kind of like consecutive long run laps on in testing because of some weaknesses, and then they had reliability issues in the race, so they still haven't got all of that data and knowledge. I actually thought the potential looked better than I'd been expecting. So. It's interesting because I think if they had a, a bit like Alpine, if they have a properly sweet, clean weekend, I think they could fight for points and get some points. Probably with both drivers because Oscar's impressed the team and uh, he was having a good solid run, only the first 13 laps, but it was going smoothly and he was doing a good job in Bahrain. Here is a tough circuit for rookies, to be fair. So you know, maybe maybe it's not a double point scoring weekend, but I think if it all came together for a clean one, again, they, they maybe have the potential to fight for that. Obviously, if everyone has that same 
type of weekend as we just said with what Alpine could do we've already said who the top four teams will be then it's hard to break into the top 10 but uh, yeah I actually think it's slightly better than where I feared they'd be at this point and I think I get the feeling the team are the same that they're a little bit more competitive than they thought but they're in a very competitive field there's no one team that's standing out as the worst uh, and if if they can make the steps that they say that they can with the with new upgrades that uh, obviously everyone will be trying to bring but if it is a real big step forward that they're hinting at then I actually think it's it's still a positive season could be on the cards for McLaren if not if they're if they're over egging it and when the new parts come it doesn't really move them then yeah they're going to be struggling to ever reach Q3 this year and that's going to be tough especially for those two drivers so um, yeah I think they're a weird one that, that right now actually maybe some more positive signs than expected but it all hinges on their upgrades Thanks very much, Chris, for doing this. Really appreciate it. Uh, give Chris a follow over on social media at Chris Medland F1. Chris, enjoy the weekend. And yeah, thanks again, man, for doing this. This has been great. Not a problem. Thanks for having me on, buddy. Have a good one yourself.